Welcome to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. And guys, we're going to make this maybe the, the Steve Spurrier edition of the Volunteer State. Now wait just a second, Tennessee fans, before you shut off the podcast here because the reason I am invoking Steve Spurrier is Josh Heupel alongside South Carolina coach Shane Beamer shared the uh, the Steve Spurrier First Year Coach Award as awarded by the Football Writers Association. Adam, I know you heard from Steve Spurrier after uh, Josh Heupel won that award. What did uh, what did the old head ball coach have to say about Heupel? Yeah, the most entertaining part of this. This was uh, on Monday night. It was a uh, Zoom call with the Football Writers Association of America, and pe- uh, people saw it. I think on Facebook Live or something. What was live? Um, but before that, there was about fifteen minutes of Steve Spurrier just kind of sitting in front of a mic, <laughs> seemingly off the record, but he's with other reporters watching him. So I guess it's kind of semi on the record, just sort of doing what Steve Spurrier does, just sort of talking to whoever's listening and, and entertaining in every word he uses. And at one point, he um, he saw the bubble pop up on Zoom of what was supposed to be Josh Heupel. It was actually Bill Martin, the UT football SID. Heupel was not uh, not in the room yet, but he, he said, Josh, Josh, is that you? This is a, a C minus D plus for your impersonation. And he said, Josh, is that you? Martin had a coach. It's, it's just me. And he said, I, I, I thought that didn't look like Josh. You tell me when Josh is here. And so Heupel finally got on. And Spurrier told the story once, and then he told a second time about his take on Oklahoma when uh, when Heupel was quarterback there. And uh, Josh Heupel finally got on the Zoom. We had not started live yet, and Spurrier said, uh, "Josh, we were just talking about you the other day. Uh, you know, Bobby Stoops. Bobby Stoops won a national title there at Oklahoma. You were the quarterback there at Oklahoma when he won the national title. And everybody said Bobby Stoops is going to win so many national titles. It's just going to it's going to be one after the other." And you know what, Josh? Nobody has won a national title in Oklahoma. Bobby Stoops didn't since you've been there. I just wanted you to know that, Josh. And and Josh Heupel, who I know has a frosty relationship somewhat with Stoops and, and even Oklahoma's alma mater, kind of got bug-eyed a little bit for a second <laughs> thinking this is what Steve Spurrier does. And he sort of leaned into his mic and said, uh, uh, Coach, how's your family? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Steve Spurrier the, can can break the ice like nobody. You, you think about Steve Spurrier needling his his rivals. He also needles his friends because Bobby Stoops and Spurrier are really good friends. In fact, uh, Stoops was his defensive coordinator when Spurrier won his only national championship. So he had he didn't win one since uh, since Stoops left. You know, it's interesting with Heupel and Beamer sharing this award. I, I think. You know, undeniably, they re- received the most praise, especially toward the end of the year within the SEC uh, of first year coaches. You had Brian Harson; He was kind of like a comet here and gone. You know, he was getting some talk for uh, SEC coach of the year and like around Halloween. And then he loses five straight in the season. And, and the shine is is off Brian Harson and and Clark Lee. He couldn't even figure out how to beat an FCS opponent this season. So he's he's out of the conversation. So it was really, you know, toward the end of the year, Heupel and, and Beamer. How do we see this going long term? I mean, is, is Beamer a guy that Heupel is going to be compared to sort of the litmus test because they were hired in the same offseason? They're in the same division. You know, we saw that a little bit with Jeremy Pruitt being compared to Dan Mullen, which despite Mullen swirling the drain in, in twenty. 
21, I mean, that was a total mismatch. It was chess versus checkers scenario, you know, Jeremy Pruitt compared to Dan Mullen scenario. But how do you think this stacks up a, a Josh Heupel as compared to Shane Beamer? Is that something that could sort of follow Heupel around throughout his tenure? And is, is that uh, such a bad thing if it does? Not necessarily. It depends on how both programs do. I think anytime you're hired the same year, if those programs become rivals, I know you're natural rival because you're in the SECs, but if the rivalry starts to matter more on both sides, South Carolina and Tennessee both get better as they did in their first season, one under Beamer and Tennessee, of course, under Heupel, I think it becomes a bigger story. It's like, okay, who's better? They're both doing well. It's kind of forgotten if one tanks in the other ascends, but I think if both are doing well, I think it becomes a more prominent storyline. And there's some similarities with them, but uh, both are offensive guys and, and both have an Oklahoma uh, connection. Shane Beamer used that connection as assistant coach to get Spencer Rattler, the star quarterback to transfer from Oklahoma to South Carolina. So the big difference was when this thing started out, first half of the season, I don't think we were talking about, well, who's better? Who's doing a better first-year job, Shane Beamer or Josh Heupel? Once Josh Heupel figured out who his quarterback should be, the Vols got rolling. South Carolina, I thought we were going to be comparing Shane Beamer to Clark Lee. You know, who's worse, Clark Lee or Shane Beamer? But Beamer's team really came on, and that's credit to him. You know, guys, I, I think the success of these two coaches, Beamer and Heupel, uh, depends as much on the programs that they've taken over and the expectations of those as opposed to maybe just how good of coaches they are. And I think we can see through that through the lens of, of Spurrier, really. Think about this. Spurrier took over South Carolina in 2005. This was his first five years on the job at South Carolina. Seven and five. Eight and five, six and six, seven and six, seven and six. For Steve Spurrier's first five years, he was a seven win coach, 35 wins in five years. If Shane Beamer does that at South Carolina, has a seven, basically a seven and five year every year, I think to some extent they'll say this is maybe good enough. We've got to get a little better, but it's stable. And stability is what South Carolina's been before Beamer came in. They had three coaches since 1999. Lou Holtz got him competitive. Steve Spurrier got him over the top, got him into the top 10, got him to one SEC title game, and then it started to drop off under Muschamp. But Tennessee has had, what, six coaches, 08, counting Heupel. If Josh Heupel went seven and five on average over five years, would that satisfy UT? So, so I think the difference in the programs and the difference in the expectations could affect these two guys. Seven and five may be good enough for Shane Beamer in his first five years of South Carolina. Seven and five probably would not be good enough for Josh Heupel at Tennessee. And I mention this because Steve Spurrier in year six went nine and five, went to the SEC title game, and then went 11 and two the next three years, got into the top 10, even got into the top five one year. And so would Tennessee be patient enough? I, I think there's probably more of a chance of that now because I think they're yearning for longevity in terms of a coach. I think it's probably already the norm at South Carolina. So those two coaches are going to deal with a little bit different expectations. Yeah, the, the interesting thing there, I'm not sure 
seven wins after seven wins after seven wins. I don't know if that would get you fired at either of these programs. You know, it's it's sort of interesting. That's a good point about Spurrier. You know, and, and expectations are even higher today than when he was starting out at South Carolina. But he didn't have that that season where they just tanked. He didn't have a losing season. He, he averaged seven wins by walking that tightrope between six to eight wins every year. You know, if you look back, and and I don't know that I see South Carolina firing a coach who does that. I mean, Will Muschamp was fired after going four and eight, and then and then two and eight. Well, that'll get you fired anywhere. And then at Tennessee, I agree the expectations are higher. But if you look at coaches that have been fired, you know, it took Butch Jones to a four and eight season to get fired. If they win seven games that year, 2017, I'm not convinced Butch Jones gets fired. I do think expectations are a little higher at Tennessee than they are at South Carolina. But if you can just average seven wins, probably uh, probably last and hang around for, for a while at either place. I can't see Tennessee um, keeping a coach that doesn't win more than seven games after five years. One of the things about it, though, is the way Heupel came in. After three and seven team under Jeremy Pruitt, and after just watching an abysmal offense that Jeremy Pruitt put on the field, Heupel raised Tennessee fans' hopes immediately. The hope is it it doesn't stay the same. Once you've done this, people are saying, well, what can he do when he has a full roster? What can he do when he gets his players in here? What? And so I just think the expectations will rise significantly for Tennessee football. And South Carolina is a different animal. South Carolina so bad for so long. I remember Steve Spurrier used to actually criticize the fans for not having high enough expectations. And they got giddy when they went to a bowl game and Spurrier saying, wait a minute, this shouldn't make us satisfied, shouldn't make us happy. We want to do a lot more than go to a bowl game here. And then he won 11 games a few years in a row, as, as Adam pointed out. So another thing is Shane Beamer, he's raised expectations too dramatically at South Carolina because of the way the team finished, the teams it beat, and also just the air of Beamer. He comes across as extremely positive. I mean, he's one of these guys that's like, hey, we're getting just getting started here. And he goes out and signs Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma's quarterback, as a transfer. I, I think the expectations are rising with South Carolina too. Of course, they could drop down repeatedly. That's a great point you made with Will Muschamp. How could they keep him around as long as as they did? But that's South Carolina. So I guess I'm kind of in the middle on this one. I I just think, though, that both fans' bases are going to be more optimistic with these coaches than they were with their previous coaches. I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how their two styles play out. Yeah, both of them do have similarities. John, you mentioned that before, Oklahoma for a piece and, and offensive background and all that. I do think if you're taking you know, the betting odds on which one of these guys has more success so over the long term, the, there's, there's different parameters with them. I think when you look at Shane Beamer, there is a sort of underdog quality He's more of an inspirational coach. We see him get emotional at games, emotional in post games when he gets big wins like the like the Auburn win. 
I think his biggest positives have maybe been off the field. I, I, again, that sort of inspirational personality that he has about being Spencer Rattler to come in, those sort of things. Josh Hopple's maybe more of a practical choice. His personality is not something that's going to necessarily just, I mean, he's, he's a genuine guy, but his personality isn't really like in your face in, in that type of way that, uh, that Shane Beamer is, but he's shown how he's going to win. He's going to do it with a whole lot of offense, probably not much defense, but a whole lot of offense going to score a lot of points. And it's just two different styles. I think, Beamer's style is going to look more maybe what his dad was, more old school, fundamental, good special teams, good defense that, that they had at, at times this, this year. I think Heupel's already laid out how he's going to win or lose, and it's going to be all offense. So so even though there are some similarities between the guys, how you think your team should win, either with new school offense and new school brand of football or maybe old school style, whichever of these coaches succeed, you're going to be able to sort of make your argument these days in the SEC and what doesn't. As far as first-year coaches go, I, I think I think this award is is fair. Heupel and, and Beamer, um, they did it as well as anybody in, in a first-year coach. And, and if I'm Tennessee, I wouldn't trade Josh Heupel for any other first-year coach uh, this year, particularly not in, in the SEC. I wouldn't want to trade Josh Heupel for Brian Harson or Clark Lee. And, and I think, you know, between Heupel and and Shane Beamer, if I'm if I'm Tennessee, I'm I'm comfortable with what I got. I wouldn't make that trade necessarily. However, let's compare him to a first year coach for next season. You have LSU bringing in Brian Kelly, and I don't really want to get into all that one because Brian Kelly has a a lengthy resume, so that that might be an unfair comparison. I want to compare Josh Heupel versus Billy Napier. If you could wipe the slate clean, your Tennessee's AD, Chancellor, President, Czar, whatever you are, you're all three wrapped into one, and you had the opportunity to take the bird in the hand, Josh Heupel, or get Billy Napier, who had success at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, is a former assistant under Nick Saban. He's hiring anyone and everyone at Florida. Get this. He's hired an assistant director for football operations, logistics, and analytics, which suggests at some point there will be a director of football operations, <laughs> logistics, and, and analytics. So he's, he's hiring anybody and everybody. He's making kind of an early splash in recruiting, but but he's a little bit more of the unknown. He's one at the group of five. This is his first time as a head coach at the Power Five. you taking the bird in the hand with Josh Heupel, or are you taking uh, kind of the man behind the curtain there? behind door number one in, in Billy Napier? <laughs> That's a great question. In fact, to uh, Napier's prolific hiring, uh, he offered me a job yesterday. Uh, you, you, and I turned yeah. it down because, I, I bur- again, Bert, I just don't know the way it's going to go. And that's why I would stick with Hypel. I just don't know how it will go with Napier. I mean, it looks good. It's a good story right now that he's hiring half of the general populace in this country to work for him and creating jobs that we never thought had anything to do with football. To his credit, he's making a splash, and I think that's significant. Florida fans are getting reinvigorated, and they fall by the wayside easily. So this guy is a promoter, and I think that's good. However, all the success he did at Louisiana, that's in a lesser league. I've talked to people who know football who think he's a really good coach. 
But I really like what Heupel did in that first season. And you you mentioned he's all about offense. Well, maybe in this era, that's that's just what it takes to be all about offense. Uh, so I, I would take, to answer your question, I would stick with Heupel for now. Now ask me this question next year, I might change my mind. Well, sure, it's a little little easier then. A- Adam, yeah. I, I want to keep you out of the columnist lane, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you into the beat writer lane here with this version of the question. And not say would you rather have Heupel or, or Napier for Tennessee, but is Florida a bigger or lesser threat to Tennessee long term with Dan Mullen as its head coach, who never lost to Tennessee during his his tenure, but nonetheless got fired? Or is it a bigger threat with, with Billy Napier? Which version of Florida do you think is more of a, of a threat to Tennessee? Well, I mean, it's, it would be easy to say that Mullen was less of a threat because of what we saw the past, what, month, two months, and how all the turmoil was around that program. Um, and I know Dan Mullen is not, his stock is not rising right now. That being said, I've always thought Dan Mullen was one of the best coaches in the SEC and there, therefore the nation. I, I think he'll succeed at the next job he gets. This is the time for Tennessee to to strike if they're going to catch up with Florida and pass Florida. Napier is an unknown to some extent. There's a, there's a chance he could succeed. There's just as much of a chance he could fail. I, I thought the chances that Dan Mullen would succeed were far greater. Again, it, it went bad at the end. If Dan Mullen comes back and he's here for if he was in Gainesville for another three years, I would bet they would get back back to where they were. Uh, I think just Dan Mullen was the safe money and Billy Napier. I think maybe Napier at this level is a little bit more like Beamer than Josh Hopple. Josh Hopple had won at Central Florida and done it in a specific way. He won to some extent at Tennessee this way in, in exactly the same way quarterback, offense, all that sort of stuff. That that blueprint is out there for how Josh Heupel is, is going to win if he is going to win. And even though Napier has done it at, at, at Louisiana Lafayette and done it well, it's still such a leap that known. And I still think Shane Beamer is an unknown long-term. So, But to answer your question on Florida, this is the time. If, if Napier is a success, uh, it probably will still take a, take a couple of years. So this is the chance for Heupel to move Tennessee into that spot because I do think Florida is probably vulnerable for at least a year. We've been talking about uh, Josh Heupel winning the Steve Spurrier Award, and we hope you will award uh, this Volunteer State podcast a, a positive review. We, we appreciate the, those ratings and reviews. Those help us get in front of more listeners. And if you haven't already, go ahead and click subscribe or follow, um, and you do not miss an episode adam um you know we're, we're kind of sort of coming out of of transfer portal season i guess or the hot stove season still might see you know a little bit here and in, in the days to come but by and large i think we'll see this quiet down as winter semesters get going and, and then you have the february signing period around the corner which of course has been replaced uh, in relevance by the December signing period, but still, you see programs usually add a couple guys in February. How would you assess at this juncture how Tennessee has fared in terms of roster management, um, roster building? You know, when it comes to limiting guys going out the door versus 
the recruits and transfers coming in the door? I think a couple of words I would put on it is um, careful uh, or maybe uh, maybe a little more, more middle of the road selective. Um, you know, there's there's an idea out there that this is just wide open free agency where, um, you know, you can you can let 10 players go and you can bring in 10 players and it's and everybody's going to get better uh, by the players that they bring in. Uh, it's that's not the case, number one, uh, for for just about anybody. But number two, with the roster restrictions that Tennessee had last year, and I believe they'll have this year, you have to be more selective. If you just go to our transfer portal or transfer portal tracker for Tennessee on knoxnews.com right now, you'll see there's a there's a lot more players going out the door than are coming in. And they they've had a couple of hits in the portal bringing guys in, but more more leaving than they're bringing in. It's because they have to they have to be selective with what the roster is going to be. The uh, scholarship count was at 71 last year. You have a max of 85. They had 71. And I have every reason to believe that they're going to be in the 70s this year because they are, they're going to self-impose scholarship uh, reductions again this season. Where that number will be, I've heard lower 70s. I've heard mid to upper 70s. Um, it will be in the 70s. You're signing a full class. Was it 20 or whatever they have now? And you are bringing in some portal guys. Um you you have to make and you have super seniors coming back. There's some guys that are coming back for a sixth year. Uh, you've got to make cuts somewhere. So the math has to work out where you're losing more than you're bringing in. And that's what they've done. That's not to say that they are completely done. Um, there's a little bit going on in the portal. Now there'll be a second wave of portal guys that will be available in the spring. Once we get through spring practice, guys will see where they are in the depth chart around the country. And they'll say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I thought I was going to start, but instead I'm second or third string, I'm out of here. And so you'll get some more opportunities there. Tennessee just has to be more selective because they're not going to fill that roster up at 85. They're going to have in the 70. So you can't take gambles on portal guys. You can't just bring in three wide receivers saying one or two of these guys will work out. You have to bring in starters and you can't miss. Um, and so the, that's why their portal traffic is is less than a lot of the schools. John, how many guys would you sign in this era where, where transfers are so key and they can play immediately? And we saw Ole Miss sign only 18 guys in December. Um, it ranked on the lower end of the SEC in terms of December signees. And now it seems like I mean, they are adding a transfer a day. I mean, they got they got guys. The the way cafeteria workers are flooding in to, to Billy Napier's program to to direct the smoothie department and the salad line and all this that we were talking about that that's what Ole Miss is doing in transfers. I mean, you know, guys are coming coming in from from everywhere in the in the country. Is that the way to do it? Would you you know if you're running a program, do you want to limit how many high school signees you got? Maybe to around like fifteen, seventeen, so you can bring in even more transfers or do you still give the edge to, you know, sign, sign as many high school recruits as you think could possibly help you. And, and then, you know, supplement that with, with, with a handful of transfers. Oh, I, that's an easy question. I, I think you have to go the transfer route. I think you, you keep your scholarship, uh, rec- the high school seniors you sign, you keep that down because you're going to add players the SEC is not going to be a developmental league anymore. You can talk about signing a player and you say, well, he's a project. Okay. And so maybe in his third year, he's competing as a starter. No, maybe in the third year, he's gone somewhere else and he's starting. 
I think you got to go. You got to go with these transfers. You look how Michigan State transformed its program in one year, and it did with about twenty transfers. That to me is the way to go. I think it's smart on Lane Kiffin's part. You have a better idea of what a player's peak is, what his ceiling is when you sign him as a transfer than you do when you sign him out of high school. I think it's important for Tennessee fans to remember Jeremy Pruitt's long gone, but he's still affecting this program. He and A.D. Phillip, former A.D. Phillip, former both are because of those penalties. Tennessee has to manage its roster differently. It wants to make a favorable impression on the NCAA. All right, guys, we appreciate uh, the time. We appreciate you listening to the Volunteer State. We had a little little break uh, uh, right after the season, but we plan to be with you pretty consistently uh, throughout the offseason. So uh, check us out. Uh, we'll be back next week for another installment of Volunteer State.